The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. There is victory. There is victory over evil and death in Christ Jesus our Lord. With that, let us prepare our hearts to hear God's truth through the preaching of his word, which we which begins with prayer. Let us pray together. Oh gracious one, Lord God, you have declared that your kingdom is upon us is within us. Open our eyes to see it. Open our ears to hear it through the preaching of your word. Open our hearts to behold it and grasp it. Open our hands so that we can serve it. We pray this in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Many years ago, there was a man who you've heard of, Vladimir Lenin. Vladimir Lenin. He was the first and founding head of the Soviet Union. Now we're now called Russia. Vladimir Lenin died, how long ago? Years ago, 1924. He died in January of 1924. Since that time, his dead body, his corpse, his corpse has been entombed in a glass, in a glass coffin. And it is on display for public view. A glass coffin has entombed, they have entombed his dead body in a glass coffin for, for the throngs of tourists who have gone by uh, to visit it every year. Now, what is involved in in preserving a dead body, you, you would ask, I would ask, how has it been going since 1924? Well, to preserve a dead body for that length of time, it requires a lot of money and a lot of work, a lot of work by a lot of people. Um, because the body keeps wanting to deteriorate, deteriorate. And it wants, it wants to go back to dust. It was it came from dust, it wants to go back to dust. That's what it was done. But in, back in uh, 2016, the Russian Federal Guard Service announced that the maintenance, the maintenance of Lenin's body has cost them some 13 million rubles. 13 million rubles, whoever, who could do the translation to that in dollars? How about $210,000 a year? It's still a lot of money. Still a lot of money in dollars. Now, Lenin's body has been kept in, well, what they refer to as pristine, pristine condition as best they can keep a dead body. Now, the team 
uh, every few days will monitor it, the condition of the skin. Because if you look at it, you see a picture of it, you can see his, well, this part of his body, his face, his hands. And they monitor it uh, every few days, making sure it looks the best they can. They monitor the skin. They monitor, they, they're trying to make his body look as natural as possible. Now, you've all been to a funeral. And if you see, if you went to a funeral, you know what, when they embalm a body, after they embalm a body, you see at the funeral home, it doesn't look the same after it's been embalmed. Well, it doesn't look the same. It, it doesn't. Uh, every 18 months, they have to take that body back and re-embalm it, if you can imagine that. This has been going on since 1924. Now, his Lennon's brain was removed initially, and so has his organs internal organs, they're not there. The only thing remaining is his skeleton, his skin, uh, his skeleton, his skin, and his face. The muscles there, whatever's left of them. But they're doing the best they can to preserve it for the tourists, for the people. He's a, I mean, a, a revolutionary to them. Lennon's physical body that's sitting in that, that glass tomb is an example of a perishable, corruptible, and immortal, I mean, an, an immortal, mortal body. That's an example of a body that's perishable, that's corruptible, and, and just a mortal body like our bodies are. It deteriorates. But God's Word tells us that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable? Now, we learned that at the very end of the sermon last week. But we're now going to continue. And see, the Apostle Paul, he spends time talking. If you notice, he spent time, a lot of time, talking about the resurrection in chapter 15. And we've spent three Sundays talking about the resurrection in, in, in chapter 15. Today, we're going to wrap it up. Paul wraps it up for us. And he still... He is still uh, addressing a critical issue for the Corinthians. The critical issue is they first don't believe that there's a resurrection. So he's been having to go through why and how and how it happens. And, and, and today he talks about, last week we spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Well, today he's going to hit, he's going to hit us right at home. He's going to hit us and he's going to speak to us about our resurrection, our resurrection, and how we're transformed, how we are transformed, uh, how, how when, when we talk about a Christian, when we talk about you and I, who are believers, uh, we talk about that there must be a transformation. Now, that transformation starts on this side of heaven, which, will, which we call rebirth. We have to be born again to receive the gift of eternal life that God is giving us, to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we do it by faith. We do it by trusting in what the Bible is telling us is going on. And at first, we're barely able to crawl to try to understand our faith in what we're hearing in the gospel. Later on, we start walking. Later on, we start running, okay? And that's just the way it is. That's the way it is. That's the way we grow. But the transformation to be a part of the kingdom of God starts on this side of heaven, 
but it comes to its fruition at the resurrection, at the at the what we would call the second coming, the parousia. The parousia is the second coming of Jesus, the second coming. Now, you never think about that. I think, when was the last time you thought about the parousia, the second coming? The last time I spoke about it, in a, probably in a passage, or in a, in a sermon. The parousia, just a, uh, that's just something you need, you can remember. It's a neat word to remember, but all it means is the second coming of Christ. Paul is going to talk about that. He's going to talk about how we are transformed at the parousia, at the end of time, at the second coming of Christ. What takes place? And he's, and he's talking to the Corinthians and us simultaneously. Because again, the Corinthians don't believe that there's a resurrection. And he's already gone through painstaking uh, links to talk about that it is true that there were witnesses, remember? Uh, there were 500 witnesses. And then, then we have Jesus, the body. He was resurrected, and that was our guarantee. And now he says, now it's about you and your, uh, how you were going to be resurrected, how it's going to happen to us. So Paul, Paul's focus today on our resurrection is interesting because he starts off by saying it is a mystery, a mystery, a mystery. This, this is a mystery in the victory of the resurrection over sin, evil, and death. Sin, evil, and death. So as we look at our passage, we can break it down into three parts. Really easy, the, the, way, the way it lays out as we're going through our passage. It starts with the mystery, the mystery of the resurrection. The next part is the victory of the resurrection. And the last part is the steadfastness in the resurrection. Okay? And so as we look and we look at our, our text, we notice that in verse 51, Paul begins his rhetoric regarding the resurrection by saying it's a mystery. A mystery, the mystery of the resurrection. Now, he uses an attention grabber to start this. Now, how many, how many times have you as a parent used an attention grabber to get the, your, the attention of your kids? Now, how many, how many times have you used an attention grabber to get grandkids? All the time, right? You got to get an attention grabber. Hey, or hazme caso or something like, listen to me. Hey, stop. Whatever else you may use to talk to your children or grandchildren or your loved one, I guess. He, but that's what he's doing. That's when the first word that he uses to talk about this is behold or lo. Meaning, hey, listen, this is something important. You may want to, okay, you were falling asleep, and you, but you may want to listen to this before you doze off. Because this is important. And that's how he starts off. That's how he starts off. He says, he goes on by saying, that it is a mystery. It is a mystery. Uh, mystery a mystery. A mystery on in the Greek. Uh, the Greek word that Paul uses is muo. Muo. The word muo is is derived from shut the mouth. So that's how he starts it. He starts it off by he's saying, "Whoa, listen! You know, behold." Shut your mouth for a second. So, so that would tell us that, that Paul's going to talk about something rather 
uh, important. I mean, he talks about important stuff all the time, but now he's telling them, listen, no, stop. Aspecaso, like, listen to me. Basically, a mystery, when we speak about mystery, what do you think about when you speak about mysteries? When, when we hear the word mystery, what do you think about? Quick, what? What do you think about? Mystery of a death, a mystery. What is that? There's a death, there's a series on murder called a mystery. It's a mystery, an unknown, right? It's an unknown to us. And Paul wants it. I mean, he realizes that this is an unknown, an unknown to us. That God has now taken the time to reveal. An unknown to us that God has revealed, now has revealed. Here, Paul touches on the mind-blowing transformation that occurs as our at our resurrection. It, it is mind-blowing, okay? And I think the reason that we don't maybe not pay attention, I'm not saying we don't pay attention to a passage like this, but we kind of skim through it because it's too much. It, it's like... Hey, those guys went to you know to the moon or something, and they flew on this Saturn V rocket or whatever, and it's like, okay, so what? I mean, but you, you got to understand that that rocket was like it took years to develop. I mean, it, it was so intricate and all that. There's so much to it, but we just don't give pay no mind to it. We just go keep going. Well, passes like this, we need to understand that it is mind blowing that our body, that you, are going to be transformed that you're going to be transformed big. This is big because, look, when you give up on the world like we tend to do on this side of heaven, especially with the things that are going on right now in our personal lives with our loved ones or with the world, whatever, we can give up on the world. And God is saying, hey, there's a mystery. There's a mystery. There's a transformation coming in your life. And it started with you believing, being born again. It's going to continue to something even bigger, much bigger, much bigger. So he touches on the resurrection, or, or the, 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 he starts with the transformation. Paul says, we shall not all sleep. We shall not all sleep. Now, I know you feel like going to sleep right now, but just stay with me. Stay with me. Maybe an amen. If you say, like, amen, you'll wake up. <laughs> But we shall not all sleep. Now, what does he mean by that? What's he talking about sleep? Paul is talking about death. Paul is talking about dying. He's talking about dying. And he is saying that we're not all, all going to die at the parousia. Well, it was the parousia, second coming of Christ, the end of time. He says, we're not all going to die. You're going to die probably, but not everybody, unless God returns today. And then you're still alive, but it's still going to, what the process is still going to happen. The process that Paul is going to talk about. Now he's talking about death. He's talking about the death that's going to happen at when, at when Christ returns, but he's referring to it as a sleep. He says sleep. He uses the word sleep. And it ha I don't know how many people have ever, have ever viewed a dead body. I'm not talking about a massacred body where it's all cut up and blown up or something. I'm talking about a dead body that you, you may have not known it was dead until you got to it. I've seen many of those. You probably saw some. If you if you don't know that they're dead, you think they're asleep. And you start noticing that. Like, you start breathing. 
They're just kind of there. It's almost peaceful. Until you get close enough to see that they've been shot or something. For me, I mean, that, that's the, the work I used to do. They're, they're, they look as though they're in a sleep-like state. But please know that, that the body, that, that although the body is dead, I don't know if sleep's the right word we could use, but that's the word Paul uses. Because here's why, okay? Because it, it looks like they're asleep, and although the body, that physical body is dead, it's not the end because the soul, the soul, our soul is still alive, okay? Now, do you know what happens when we die? When we go to sleep, or the big sleep, I'll call it, we'll call it the big sleep. You know what happens when, when that occurs? Paul's going to tell us. Scripture tells us already. What happens immediately after we die? Anybody want to venture? We are judged. Final judgment. Not the final decree which pushes us where we're going to go. We're talking about after we die, we are judged. According to Scripture, just as it is appointed for man or woman to die once, and after that comes, comes judgment. After you die, this first death, this sleep, this physical death, you're judged by God immediately. It, it, do you think that's interesting? It, it, it may, maybe not for some, because there are some people that, that, that have this notion that they're going to appear before a courtroom, and it, it's going to be a courtroom setting because it is a judgment setting, but like they're going to be able to defend themselves or something, get Perry Mason to defend them or something in front of God. And God, God doesn't need any of that. He knows he's going to judge you immediately. Now, what's the judgment? Well, if you're guilty of committing this crime against him that, they, that the Bible calls sin, the judgment is guilty. And if you're not guilty of committing sin against God, the judgment is what? Not guilty. And the only way it can be not guilty, because we were Christians, we know this, is because when we have someone stand in our stead, stand in our place, take the punishment for us, take the penalty for us, and give us his righteousness, as though we live this righteously perfect life on earth. And so when we die, when we die, when that person dies, he's found not guilty. So you got not guilty, true believer, in the life and work of Christ, and guilty, non-believer. Anybody else that doesn't believe in Christ, guilty. Now what happens to the guilty? They go off to, they go off to hell. They they go away from God, and what happens to the not guilty? They go. Their soul goes to be with the Lord. Okay. Now are we together on that. That's why you're judged immediately after death. If you are in Christ, you're going to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, 
the body of Christ, the body, the, the flesh also, you're going to be with him somewhere. Your, your soul is going to be with him. But if you're not, you're, you're already there and you're condemned in, in, in hell. And it's going, to be, it's going to be terminal at the end of time. It's just going to be all concluded. So that's what Paul is telling us. But he goes beyond that. That's why it says that when Christ returns, those who are asleep are called up. See, they've already been judged. It's like it's not like they're going to be called up. They're going to be they're going to be judged when they get up there. No, no, they're already judged. We're already judged. We're going to be called up to come in a procession with the Lord Jesus Christ as He returns in all His splendor and glory to the world. Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? That is that, so. That's where Paul's at. Paul's saying that. This is all going to happen, and it all happens the moment you die. The moment you die, you are judged. The moment you die, you are judged. You are in a soulful state. Your soul is alive, and it was judged by Christ, and that is throughout Scripture. So now, first we die. The next thing that happens is immediately after death is that we're judged. Now, there's a caveat that he says here. He, what is he, what's the caveat that he has here? He says, except, he says that not all will die. He says some are going to still be alive. And, and that makes sense because when Jesus returns, it's going to happen in time and space, our time and space. So there's going to be people alive still there. And then, but everything's going to change. Even those living, they're going to go through this process. Everything's going to change. Everything. And he says, and how long is that going to take? How long is that change? How long is that transformation going to take? In a moment. What? A moment. A brief moment. A brief moment. It's going to happen quickly. It's going to happen. What he says, in the twinkling of an eye. The twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, when the announcement, when the trumpet announces the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, our resurrection, our transformation into an imperishable, an incorruptible, and an immortal body will happen quick, quick, in a split second. The Greek, the Greek word means in a split second, in a split second. Everybody at one time, bang, you're transformed. You've already been judged. That's already been taken care of. You're in a soul state. You're not human. So you're not, you know, you may not, you don't feel, I don't feel human. Have you ever felt like that? Well, wait, you'll feel it. But anyway, so so you're transformed. You're transformed in, the, in, in a split second, according to the Greek, in a flash, according to some translations of our Bible. Now, Paul's imagery, notice the imagery he uses in the twinkling of an eye. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt, looked at somebody and saw a twinkle in their eye? I don't know if you've ever felt it. <laughs> I, thought we, I, I could have named someone that would never feel something like that. Okay, it's like quick, it's quick. 
And for some people, you can feel the twinkling of an eye. You look into somebody's eye, you can feel it. And the, the root word when, uh, that Paul uses for the twinkling of an eye has to do with uh, has to do with a jerk, jerk. There's somebody jerk you, fool you, or or somebody stroking you, touching you. The hand of God touching you, the twinkling of an eye. It's perhaps a feeling that awakens you. It quickens you back to life and transforms you into this imperishable body, incorruptible, that will live for the rest of eternity in the twinkling of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye, that quick. And that's a God promise to us. God is promising that that's going to happen to you. So when you get down on how you feel, and man, I've been getting older every day, and this week I felt a little sick, you know, you, when you feel a little sick, you always feel closer to death, right? I feel a little sick, oh man, I'm dying here, yeah, and then you get better, but no, okay, so, but in the, but the promise to you is that it's not over, right, something big's coming, something big, not death, that's going to happen, and then it's unfortunate, because of evil and sin. But something big is coming, a transformation, transformation. So that brings us to our next point, the victory of the transformation, the victory of the resurrection in verses 54 through 57. <clears throat> Paul celebrates God's victory over evil through the work of Christ with a hymn. It's a hymn that he uses. Listen to the hymn. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. It's a hymn. Now, he takes that hymn and adds to it, but he takes it from the Old, Old Testament verses, Isaiah 25, 8, and Hosea 13, 14, and puts them together. Paul, the apostle, the great apostle Paul, brings the lyrical crescendo. He brings a lyrical crescendo. You can almost imagine Paul singing this. A lyrical crescendo, meaning to the maximum climax, the loudest voice, bringing these two verses together to announce that death is ended. Death has come to an end, has no sting. And he uses those passages announcing that God's salvation has come <coughs> excuse me, to all the nations and to all the people groups of the world. And the, and the passage out of Hosea talks about how a judgment is about a judgment discourse on the nation, on God's people who are going to face punishment and elimination and death unless they are rescued by, by God, by our Lord. And if they're not rescued, they go to the grave. They go to Sheol. They go to hell. Powerful talk. There's powerful words coming. Powerful words of a transformation that's coming and that is real. The Apostle Paul, again, combines these two verses 
to talk about the resurrection, to talk about the rescue, how we are rescued from the power of death. And although death may sting like a scorpion, it has been swallowed up. That's right. Death has become plunder to our immortality because it no longer will exist. Listen, the connection between death, sin, and the law is well known, is a well-known theme in the writings of Paul. He writes about it all the time. That death is aroused by the law because it has a penalty now. And the, and the result of that, the law, the result, the penalty of sin is death. And the wage of sin is death. And Paul writes about it all, all over the place in his writings. Paul points to the stress that since the sting of death has been removed, sin has lost its power over who? Sin has lost its power over who? You, me, us. It, has no, long, it no longer has power over us. And although we may fall asleep, die our physical death, there's something bigger. There's a victory already won for you, and it's a transformational victory. The resurrection awaits us. And the evidence of that resurrection has already come through Jesus Christ's resurrection, which was a guarantee that the power of death and sin has ended. We have been made alive alive so that we can stand in the presence of the Almighty. Remember last week we spoke about this. We have to be transformed. We cannot stand in the presence of the Almighty the way we are. There has to be a change. There has to be a transformation. And that transformation comes at the in our resurrection. So that brings us to the final thing. Our final point is the steadfastness of the resurrection. Now, the, the pressure that the uh, Corinthians were facing was the pressure of being steadfast in their faith, of being steadfast in their belief in the promises of the gospel. Do you feel a connection with the Corinthians? Because there are some people that don't believe in the gospel. Huh? They don't. Or they say they don't. And so that you have the pressure of the not just your loved ones, but friends and family and people you know and the world saying they don't believe. And the Corinthians were feeling that. And Paul is calling them to, to be steadfast in their faith. And he's giving them all these reasons for being steadfast and all these promises that come from God. They, the, the Corinthians were facing tremendous difficulties in remaining steadfast uh, because they were being attacked by the world. Does that feel like you? Do you feel like you're being attacked for what you believe in? Now, some of us may say, no, I don't feel that way. Well, I'll tell you why you don't feel that way. It's because you've never shared the gospel with anybody. You're keeping it a secret. You're like an undercover Christian. Is, that a, is there such a thing as an undercover Christian? An under, what's an undercover Christian? Oh, nobody knows he's a Christian. I was an undercover cop. Why, why was that an undercover cop? Because I didn't want anybody to know I was a cop. So I was an undercover. Are you an undercover Christian? That means that no one knows you're a Christian. 
They would well, never guess it. Not the way you live. Certainly not the way you live. Man, I know you're not a Christian. I know what you've done and what you're still doing. Huh? That's an undercover Christian if you claim to be a Christian. But the reason many people are undercover Christians is they've never shared the gospel. They've never shared the belief in Christ. They've never shared Jesus with anyone. That's the, the best news you can give anyone is Jesus. Share Jesus with them. But we don't want to. We're afraid they're going to make fun of us. There's the Corinthians. So Paul's telling you, you know what? You got something bigger waiting for you. Something more glorious. That's the kingdom. Your kingdom bound. Why are you afraid of that? Wouldn't you want to share that? But what if our loved ones say, I don't want to hear it. Well, if it's somebody you don't really care about, you just keep going, okay? Unless they come, now if they come back to you, you want to hear more, you got to share it. But what if they, what if they're attacking you? What if they what if they know that you that you believe and they just viciously attack you? You know that happened to me the other day. Us. I'll be brief. A distant relative comes to our house. And, and we believe our house is the threshold. I mean, it's the, the house of God. God dwells in it. It's his house. We just kind of live there and supposed to take care of it. But he dwells there. And anyone that comes into this house comes under the umbrella of the Almighty himself. So this person comes and he, and, and, and he attacks, comes on the attack, being an accuser, accusing of being, us of being hypocritical, bringing up old things that happened 40 years ago, maybe 35 years ago just to belittle you, just to make you uncomfortable. That, has that happened to you? Well, if it hasn't, it will. They're going to make you feel uncomfortable. So what do you do with that? You love them. You love them. Well, you, can be, you, can, you can be stern with them. And you can tell them, hey, look, you've come under the umbrella of the house of God. And what you mean by that is that you are where God dwells. And that you can only love them and you want to share more about Christ with them. That's staying steadfast. That's what it means by being steadfast. We see that all the time. We see that going on in this world. So what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? What, what, is, what is the resurrection mean to you? It's, it's wonderful. It means everything. It's why we're here. It, it's why you're here today. It has changed your life. It has transformed you and will transform you. So you celebrate that. And you celebrate the good news with others that you care about, that you love. Um, there's a pastor from Uvalde. Now you may have read about him, Gilbert Limones. Limones says, there's a, there's a plural in that name of his name. Uh, he's a pastor from Uvalde. He was a pastor from Uvalde. And he was the one of the first targets of the gunman. In fact, when the gunman crashed over there, um, he and uh, another man or another person went out to see what was going on. And the gunman started shooting shots. 
popping caps at him and this other person. Now, now, uh, Pastor Limones works at a funeral home when he's not pastoring. He works at a funeral home. He's bivocational, if you can imagine that. Okay, so he works at a funeral home. And, and that's where it, the, the funeral home was next to the schoolyard. And so he comes out, and, and the gunman starts shooting at him. And fortunately, neither him or the person that was with him are hurt. And they go back in, and they, they call um, the police and, you know, report it and all that. Now, he is since then, not only is he pastoring and consoling the families, as you can imagine, of his congregation who, who've been shattered, he is also preparing the corpses of the children that are, that are being buried. So it, it has impacted his life. It's impacted the community. It's impacted our lives. And uh, what he said in, during a sermon when, he, when asked about it, he said that, he said this, he says that, when tragedies happen, all the enemy needs is a willing vessel. All the enemy needs is a willing vessel. And what he's saying there is that we're fighting a big battle here. We're, it's beyond flesh and bones. It's, it, it, we're, we're, it's what Paul talks about in, in Ephesians. When, it says, when he says that we're, we're not wrestling against flesh and bones only, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And when these demonic forces start whispering in your ear things that are not godlike or from Scripture, to believe this or to believe that, that's an attack on you. What happens with people is they buy into the attacks. And they buy more into it. And they get more and then they get engulfed in it. And that's what he's trying to say. And, and we have to remember that we must stand steadfast in, in, our, in, in, in our faith in Jesus Christ. And when people question our faith saying, how can your God allow these 19 kids to die you can remind them this is a fallen world and that there is good news, that he has taken action. He's overcome this fallen world through his son, our Savior, and our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, that is, that is their call. <coughs> that is the gospel message. It is their call. It is our call to respond to this calling. That is this, this is their time when they're, when they're asking you questions about how your God can do this. Is there time to hear the gospel and respond? Is God calling them? Because God can use things, horrible things like this, to call out to us to come to him, to be saved. And that is it. That's why you need to stay steadfast. Because in the resurrection, God has given us victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we, as true believers, are called to be steadfast participants participants in Jesus' victory by proclaiming the gospel. Jesus' victory over evil, over evil by proclaiming the gospel message. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we... You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially 
as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness. Amen.